everybody, and welcome to another episode of Faithful. My name is Emma. My name is Christina. Hello, welcome, yay! Woo! <laughs> we both just did spirit hands. Wee! <laughs> uh, Christina, what have you been up to? Uh, well, um, I had high plans for the episode that we are recording today and that you are hearing currently. However, uh, my plans did not quite go as I wanted to, so we're going to do something a little bit different for today. Oh, exciting. Uh, this is actually going to be, uh, hopefully our first ever, uh, two-part episode. <gasps> this will come air horns, episode, air horns. This is going to be episode nine and episode ten. God willing. I hope you guys like the topic. Yeah, because, uh, <laughs> I, we are finally getting on the train of uh we're finally getting on the train of popular media that we're talking about everyone's favorite new uh uh your angle or your are you demon boys slash non-gender conforming entities from good omens <laughs> or uh if you are a copy of the book that i borrowed from my local library uh you are good omens <laughs> because uh minor graphic designer quibble the way they positioned the halo over the o and good looks like an umlaut it sure does so i'm going to be calling it good omens <laughs> and i realize it's probably not how you pronounce an umlaut and also i took spanish not german don't at me <laughs> i did watch a video on how to pronounce like an umlaut with an o before we started recording but then i forgot it so 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 hey don't don't at me i'm doing my best over here german is not going to be the first language i go to on duolingo <laughs> oh man uh i guess i i should just say like i have never read or watched good omens and i i don't i mean like it looks listen it looks great Mm-hmm. And I'm excited about this episode, but I'm not, like, overly interested in it. That's okay. <laughs> but I'm really excited to learn more about it, because I think I'm not interested, because I just, like, don't know anything about it. hmm Yeah. And uh, at the time of this recording, I am currently on page 75 out of 369. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice, uh, nice. So, I'm not that far into the book. Um, I haven't seen the Amazon show, partially because I actually don't think we have Prime streaming video. But, regardless of that, I this is actually my second time trying to read the book. My first time <laughs> was when I was at a catering gig a couple years ago, and they had a copy of Good Omens sitting in like the waiting area. For this job, and I read, I read, I would say probably like 20 or so pages of it, and I had a really good time reading it, and then we had to go work and I never picked it up again until now. (laughs) So yeah, uh, I figured today we can probably talk about like, hey, what are some of the, what was the backstory for writing this book, and like, what are some of the themes, and I can recount how they, I can recount how the themes have shown up so far in the 75 pages that I've read, and then we can carry that on into the next episode, where I can, by that point, summarize how they actually came through in the book. (laughs) If that sounds good to you, Emma? Yeah, sounds great. (laughs) 
So, Emma, how about if you start us off by telling us a little bit about the authors slash creators of Good Omens? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, pretty famously, I would say, uh, Good Omens was actually written by two talented men, uh, Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett, who um, collaborated on the novel, um, like, as they were, like, uh, you know, living in England at the same time. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, they, uh, originally the book started as a parody of, um, a guy named Richmond Compton's, uh, book that was called William the Antichrist, which I assume was, uh, (laughs) kind of a similar, um, comedy, uh, sort of idea, sort of book. So we can put that on the list of things for us to talk about at some point, because <laughs> I'm down for a good parody, generally. Book of Lauren looking at you. <laughs> um, but yeah, and so uh, I don't know if, uh, I think, uh, Christina, you've written, you, you write, right? I I have done a little bit of writing in the past. I... I like to say that I almost got a creative writing minor when I was in when I was in college because mm-hmm. like I I almost did I was I think one credit away from getting it and the only reason I didn't was because my final semester I took twenty one credit hours which was a mistake. Christina and at least three of that was like seven classes at least three of them were studio classes I am aware it was a bad decision but I survived I got my degree and I have a job now so. <laughs> You're truly an inspiration. I try. Um, <laughs> Didn't sleep a whole lot, but I try. Oof. Um, uh, so what I was getting to there with Christina being a writer a little bit, at least, is um, maybe you can relate uh, to like collaborating on a, a, like, a writing project with another person. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, not necessarily from a... I haven't ever written something with someone else, but... I have run at least one tabletop game. So I am I am very used to collaborative storytelling. Sure, yeah. I know that um my friend and I when we were younger, we would um write uh Doctor Who fan fiction at the same time. Yeah. And we would like, you know, take turns writing things and like take, you know, like it's like this is the character that I knew about and this is how, so I'm going to write them and I kind of decide what they would do. Yeah. Uh, whatever, and that's pretty much how um, Neil and Terry did it too. Really? Um, yeah, it just like in like you know the eighties. <laughs> well, yeah. So it was probably a lot of you know frantic phone calls. <laughs> yeah, they said um, uh, they called each other like once every day, and they would talk for hours, like just like brainstorming and talking about like what they wanted to do and like what they were trying to do, mm-hmm. and um, they would uh you know, type up their stuff, but then they would send floppy disks to each other in the mail. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> so each other could, like, look at each other's writing and, like, actually edit it and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, they think that... Uh, they, there's no way to tell for sure, because a lot of it got, like, muddled in, like, editing and in different, like, editions of it and everything. Mm-hmm. But um, Terry Pratchett probably wrote um, about, like, 6,000, like, raw words of it, and... um. Uh, Neil Gaiman wrote, like, 45,000 words. Okay. Um, but it was, it was a real, like, collaborative effort. Good. Um, and they say that, like, by the time that they were, like, editing, like, the second draft and the third draft and everything, like, 
they'd rewritten each other's parts and like added footnotes to each other and like Mm -hmm. you know like it was hard to say like that was oh that was like neil's idea because it happened while they were like brainstorming on the phone so like maybe like one of them like said the idea but they both worked on it together and then one person wrote it down Mm -hmm. but is that their idea that they wrote down or is that you know the other person's it doesn't matter (laughs) Mm -hmm. um yeah, so I mean, I haven't read it, but I wonder uh, if you can, like, tell that it was written by two people, or... Yeah, it... I I can't necessarily tell right now, because 75 pages in, but uh, I, I feel like that will probably become pretty evident, because uh, as uh, this edition of the book, and I'm assuming probably most of them, uh, this book is not divided into traditional chapters... There's different segments of it, and, I mean, they have, you know, like, the paragraph breaks and stuff, which is generally where, like, perspectives will shift, Mm -hmm. so I imagine that as I go on, I'll probably be able to pick out, generally, like, hey, I can't, I don't have a lot of experience reading either one of their works individually, Mm -hmm. so, but I'm hoping that I'll be able to tell, like, hey, this this feels more like writer A, this one feels more like writer B, kind Mm -hmm. of a thing. Sure. Yeah, there's another little bit here um, in this little article that I'm reading. It's Wikipedia. <laughs> oh, hey, I um, actually, uh, <laughs> the back of my book also has a thing in it about uh, where one of the questions is, who wrote that bit? <laughs> oh, this thing says, Neil had the most influence on the opening and Terry on the ending. Apart That's exactly from, Apart from say. that, they just shouted excitedly a lot, which, <laughs> relatable. <laughs> Yeah, that sounds about, uh, if I know writers at all, that's about what I would expect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, this, this, uh, the Wikipedia article that I'm reading also said, um, that, uh, Terry did a lot of the, like, physical writing of it, uh, because he had to, um, because, like, Neil was working on, um, Sandman at the time, mm-hmm. and he had to keep that going, um, but... Uh, Terry Pratchett um, could take time off of like uh, Discworld that he was also doing at the time mm-hmm. um, to be able to actually write the book um, and it would just be a disaster if both of them were trying to edit it at the same time and so they at the at, right at the beginning of the project they decided that Terry was going to be the editor and he was gonna take all of the words once they were there and edit them himself so that it was just one voice editing it instead of two mm-hmm Oh, this is nice. This uh, this book, this edition in particular, includes at the end there is both a like a questions section, but then there's also uh Neil Gaiman on Terry Pratchett, and then Ter- and then Terry Pratchett on Neil Gaiman. Oh, which is just which is really cute, and I will read it. And at one point, I just saw a part from Terry Pratchett's section. That contains a tag for a, for, like, a stage direction. <laughs> so I'll write that when I get to the end of the book and I'll let you know how, uh, how, how moving those parts are by that point. Please. Oh, I'm so excited. Uh, there's also, um, I, I didn't scroll down the entire page, but there's a third reason why Terry Pratchett, uh, wrote more than mm-hmm. Neil. And that's because, um, quote, and there's minor swear word here. Sorry, cover your kid's ears. Um, quote. <laughs> I'm a selfish bastard and tried to write ahead to get to the good bits before Neil. <laughs> <laughs> also relatable. 
Because <laughs> mm-hmm. as anyone who has uh, as anyone who has ever done any kind of collaborative storytelling can tell you, it it's sometimes it's like I know where it's going. I gotta get there before anyone else. <laughs> yes, it's so basically what I learned here in my cursory um, Wikipedia article reading is that uh, these guys were great friends, and it sounds like there were a lot of really. It like it sounds like they had a lot of fun writing this book which i think from what i know of it comes through in the actual story oh yeah definitely uh something that i only just noticed when i was opening up my book was that uh on the on essentially like the legalese page i actually don't know what it's called but it's like you know the the back page to the title page in a book where they list everything about like the like hey this is the publication information Oh, uh, sure. The, this book comes with a caveat. Bringing about Armageddon can be dangerous. Do not attempt it in your own home. The implication <laughs> there being that you can attempt it in someone else's home, and that's fine. Just not in yours. <laughs> and it also mentions that they, uh, that they got the rights to use part of the lyrics from Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> which, respect. <laughs> And uh, also that the book is de- uh, the book the book's dedication is the authors would like to join the demon Crowley and dedicating this book to the memory of G K Chesterton, a man who knew what was going on, <laughs> which is really delightful. Like I I love that. There's also like there's there's an introduction, which is like the beginning of garden like the, the beginning in the garden of eden and then there's literally like a credits like a title crawl where they talk about all the characters that are going to be involved in the book which is really interesting yeah very interesting but yeah so that's kind of the lead into this book <laughs> yeah I think that sounds I I'm I'm much more interested in it than I was uh 15 minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> um I did find that a, a page about themes. Yeah, go for it. All right. So, um I have not read the book and I am trusting Christina to maybe have some sort of uh interjection here about these themes if she's seen them yet or not but yeah here is what um it's one of those websites uh that helps kids cheat on uh english tests is it spark notes it is enotes okay I will, i'm gonna try to find the spark notes in a minute but <laughs> um and it's got a little list about themes um and so i'm just gonna go down the list and we'll see what happens go for um, it i got my cell phone with my notes on it one hand and the book in the other heck yes i almost swore not a swearing podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so the first theme here is um free will. Oh, sorry, free will versus predestination. Yes, I do have a section on that so far. Great. Uh so far, uh, actually, would it would it help if I kind of like recapped like what's happened so far in the book first? I think that would be good. Sure. Okay. The essentially what has happened so far. In the first 75 pages of Good Omens is essentially, uh, it starts off the same kind of way that, you know, the, the book of Genesis does in the Bible, you know, in the beginning there was nothing and then there was God and creation of the universe and everything in it. 
Mm -hmm. and then the creation of Adam and Eve. And the book begins as Adam and Eve are departing the Garden of Eden, and it follows uh, the main characters. I don't know if they're necessarily going to be, like, the protagonists or the antagonists or the heroes of the book yet, but they're definitely Mm -hmm. the main characters. (laughs) Um, And this is, in particular, the Angel of the Eastern Gate, uh, assuming that there is, of course, you know, a Western, Northern, and Southern Gate as well. Mm -hmm. And his name is Aziraphale. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. I I've hope never so. heard anyone say it out loud, so... <laughs> I feel like it's either Aziraphale or Aziraphale, but given a couple other things in the book, I feel like it's Aziraphale, so... Sure. So, Aziraphale, and uh, the beginning is him having a dialogue with the serpent which tricked Adam and Eve into eating of the fruit of the Tree of Knowledge, and then realizing you know, everything, and oops, the original sin. And that mm-hmm. demon's name is Crawley, C-R-A-W-L-Y, no E because it's English, but then he later changes <laughs> it to Crowley, C-R-O-W-L-E-Y. So there's that kind of a thing. And it starts, it literally starts off with them debating, like, what is the difference between, like, good and evil? Wow. Yeah, because Crowley doesn't think that his act of of pers- persuading or proposing the idea of eating of the fruit and stuff what he asks whether or not that was an evil action and Aziraphel is like I don't know and I don't have an opinion on it or I refuse to have an opinion on it <laughs> and then Crowley is uh and then no and then Aziraphel is just kind of hanging out and Crowley's like didn't you used to have a flaming sword and he's like I gave it to Adam and Eve, and he doesn't know whether or not he did something good or something bad, which is interesting because, like, literally on page on page four of this book is them proposing the idea of, like, what if there's, like, what happens when good people do things that would be seen as bad, heavy air quotes there, or bad people do things that are seen as good. Mm-hmm. So, like, there's already that getting set up. And then it switches to, essentially, like, I think this is supposed to be set in, like, the 1980s, maybe the 90s, something like that. But it's, mm-hmm. like, it's the beginning of the apocalypse, because then it cuts to the the uh, the birth of the Antichrist. <laughs> <laughs> and, which Crowley has to orchestrate. And so he ha- he is given the baby, he is, he is given the baby Antichrist by a couple of higher-up demons from somewhere in hell. And there's a whole diatribe about how, like, Crowley has essentially taken to a more modern use of sin and temptation, which is essentially, like, getting humanity started and then letting them create their own misery Whereas the mm-hmm. demons are more more old school about it, which we can come, which is probably one of the themes. So I figure we'll talk about it later, or I'll talk mm-hmm. about it next episode. Sure. Um, but yeah, so he gets the baby Antichrist, and then he goes to uh, drop it off in a hospital to be, you know, you know, Fay child switched in with a normal baby. <laughs> Only, and then like this was honestly one of the most confusing parts so far because. 
in the book, the idea was supposed to be that, like it be like a one to one switch, but there was an but in the book there are actually three babies at the hospital that night. Two sets of them came with parents, <laughs> or two of them came with <laughs> sets of parents. So, one of the babe, like the baby was, I think, supposed to be placed with like an American ambassador. And then, Mm -hmm. but the baby, but the baby Antichrist ends up with just literally a normal family from England. (laughs) And because there is a sisterhood of satanic nuns and they don't keep track of which baby is where, they get it confused. (laughs) So they don't realize that the Antichrist is with the literally normal English family and they think the baby is with the Americans. And then the extra baby just kind of gets written out of the story. <laughs> like, it's not very... Like, they even mentioned it in the story. They're like, oh, you know, like, you definitely could think that, like, this kid went on to... This baby went on to have, you know, a perfectly normal life somewhere. Like, like baby grew up, did decently in school. Like, got married, had kids at some point. But we're not going to tell you what what definitively happened with this baby. And I'm like, I have a concern. <laughs> but the book hasn't paid it off yet. Because, again, page 75. Sure. <laughs> so, it's, uh, yeah. And the so they, they switch the babies. And then for the next, ele- the next, like, ten and... Ten and like nine tenths years, Aziraphale and Crowley decide that. Well, actually, no. First, Aziraphale and Crowley get dead drunk <laughs> because they're both like, "Well, the world's ending." Because this is something that is really exciting to me, and I am sure everyone on Tumblr and probably also Twitter has been having an absolute shipping heyday with, is the fact that over the thousands of years, over the millennia since the Garden of Eve or whatever, they've they've essentially built up a, a working relationship where they they realize that the other person is there working for the heavy air quotes opposite side. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so they have kind of like a hey, like like you don't stop me from doing this thing and I won't stop you from doing that thing. Kind of a relationship if that makes sense. Sure. It's like hey, like like if you don't like, if you don't rat me out to your boss because I'm doing this, I will rat you out to mine. <laughs> and they, so they have that familiarity, that friendship, that working relationship. And when they meant, when they, when Crowley becomes aware of the fact that the apocalypse is going to happen and the end times are coming, he immediately goes and then gets dead drunk with Aziraphale and have this really long diatribe about, like, that, like, I've, I haven't ever been around people that were this drunk, but I have to assume this is a very authentic sound to it. <laughs> <laughs> and there is literally a quote to it. Uh, there's literally a quote where it starts off with them saying, um, where was it? There's literally a quote where it's, uh, they make nests, you know, gorillas. Nah, God's truth, saw a film. Nests. That's birds. <laughs> and, and 
there you are. All creatures great and smoke. I mean small. Great and small. Lot of them with brains. And then, bazam. <laughs> Which is just like... I, I feel weird watching people be drunk when I'm not drunk. <laughs> but they they come to it essentially while they are this drunk they come to an agreement that they are going to essentially try and neutralize the antichrist by providing them with uh, with like a spiritually even upbringing <laughs> like they they literally have it be like oh well uh essentially Crowley Crowley masquerades as this child's nanny <laughs> For heard about this. X number of years, and teaches him about like all well, teaches teaches this kid about all of the things that are like evil in the world, and then at the same time, Aziraphale is pretending to be the gardener and teaches him about all the good things, and then they switch places, and then they're both like tutors teaching him about stuff, except for the fact that they've been doing all of this for the wrong kid. <laughs> <laughs> because they also thought that the Antichrist was with the American ambassador, <laughs> whose name ended up being Warlock, which, like, poor kid. <laughs> this poor little guy is named Warlock. But they do this for ten, for ten and nine-tenths years, and then on Warlock's eleventh birthday, he's supposed to get a hellhound for, like, an animal companion. <laughs> and... Crowley and uh, Crowley and Aziraphale are like, okay, so we're gonna we're gonna hang around and hope that this kid gets his hellhound, and then he doesn't because it's the wrong kid, and they have a crisis about that. <laughs> and at the point at which I got to, they they have they leave because they're trying to go find the correct antichrist, <laughs> and. At that point, they haven't, like, they're still trying to figure out where everyone is and stuff. And at some point, also, they mention, like, hey, the four horsemen of the apocalypse are loose and wandering around the world. <laughs> and it's a really interesting, like, take on the four horsemen, which, uh, in this case, are uh, death, war, famine, and uh, pollution or pestilence. Mm -hmm. And in the book, like, uh, the the Horseman War is, at least in the first iteration, presented as an arms merchant <laughs> that is driving around, in this case, I think it's Africa, like, sowing, mm -hmm. sowing seeds of dissent and also handing out weapons. Like, they mentioned that she, like, she drives into a town and then three days later the town is in ruins and a week later, the entire country has fallen to civil, like, to complete internal civil war. And she's like, well, job well done, I'm gonna move on to the next town. Oh, or whatever. And then, uh, pestilence is pollution. So, like, you know, hanging out on, hanging out on, like, oil tankers. And they mentioned that, oh, pestilence worked at Chernobyl. <laughs> when that, when all that went down. And Famine is, in this book, a proponent of, like, super crazy crash diets to essentially get people to starve themselves to death because of, like, anorexia, like, anorexia, which is a take that I am not <laughs> definitely relevant, but I am not especially fond of. 
<laughs> and then, you know, death is death. Death is everywhere. And I'm kind of hoping that death will be, like, the most neutral of them, because, you know, like, death comes to us all and all that. Right. So, yeah, it's, a. Uh... That's how that is how far I am in the book so far. I am sure that certain things will happen. I am sure there will be some kind of big confrontation with death and probably also with God and Satan and some kind of reckoning on like the actions of Aziraphale and Crowley. Sure. If hopefully they'll be relevant, but I do not know what will happen next. <laughs> <laughs> so, hit me with those themes. All right. So, um one of I so I was just reading through the themes and I think the themes kind of have a theme, yeah, of address and I mean, obviously, honestly, but like it like the I think the book, the point of it is like addressing like how people think about religion and like interact with other people. Oh yeah, definitely. with that lens and you know it's it's a comedy it's making fun of them but it's also like making a lot of really good points about mm-hmm. um like for example like compare like people who have different ideologies oh, and yeah. how um you just like communication and contact with those other ideologies mm-hmm. like make you guys like mesh together way better oh, and yeah. understand each other oh yeah like they mm-hmm. they mention in and again, the 75 pages that I've read so far, they mention that, like, even though demons and angels are not apparently technically supposed to be creatures with free will, that extended contact with uh, humanity has instilled, I guess you could say, a certain measure of free will in both Crowley and Aziraphale, which Crowley really enjoys and Aziraphale does not. <laughs> at least again so far 75 pages in gotcha <laughs> uh, but yeah and um, I, I did have a quick note on free will before I forget which is oh yeah, uh, they mentioned that uh, <clears throat> excuse me like Crowley mentions that at some point that like he didn't necessarily have free will but the and my note literally is just Crowley. Uh, Crowley feels like he doesn't have a choice to initiate the end of the days with the delivery of the Antichrist. And yet his initiation of the original sin was arguably a choice. <laughs> so I, I have a lot of feelings about free will and choice and everything in the context sure, of this. Sure, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I think, um, kind of stemming off of that, like, there's another theme according to this, of, uh, um, like, being able to change your fate, and, like, (laughs) Emma, what? If you had the chance to change your fate, (laughs) would you? (laughs) Oh, man, I mean, yeah, but, um, (laughs) like, because, you know, like, um, Crowley and Aziraphale are, like, they're fated to be like one of them is good and on God's side and heaven's side and one of them is bad and evil and on like hell and Satan's side. Um, but uh, I think it's probably pretty easy to say, say that like uh, eventually they break those 
uh, stereotypes and become their own people with their own morals and they don't follow like the path of destiny put out for them they just do what like they make their own make their own future their own destiny mm-hmm. yeah it is a uh, it is going to be interesting to see how they necessarily go about everything with the uh how they necessarily go about everything in the world because it seems like it's going to be quite the uh quite the adventure to do stuff <laughs> yeah yeah for sure so i did have a couple more notes on themes unless there were any in particular that you wanted to talk about before yeah, i go, go into the rest of the book no you're good Okay, um, we already talked about free will. I have a whole note at the beginning of my notes on trying to figure out the baby swap because it's <laughs> it was not especially clear. Um, yeah, uh, my mom was, uh, she watched the first episode of Good Omens and then started reading the book, and yeah. she said that that helped a lot in being able to picture what was happening. Okay, okay. So, good to know. if you want some clarification, <laughs> just watch the first good episode. Good to know. Oh, that reminds me. I wanted to mention that, like, the, uh, so far, they have a, the, the baby swap in the, in the book, and also presumably the TV show, or the series, uh, is orchestrated by the order, like I said earlier, the Order of Satanic Nuns, <laughs> which is named, uh, the Chattering Order of St. Beryl. <laughs> which is like that's just a wonderful pastiche of like or maybe not pastiche but it's a wonderful like parody and tribute of just like the the incredibly at this point cliched and stereotyped nature of like <laughs> religious orders right yeah but it made but it made me laugh so good on them <laughs> um but yeah other notes that i had on theme uh, where the, there's the notion of being good and evil against mm-hmm. doing good or evil. Sure. Like, so far, it seems like there's going to be a difference displayed between, like, what you are versus what you do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Within this case, like, I, my note was in the Genesis part where they mentioned that, uh, that Aziraphale giving the sword that was on fire or whatever to uh, Adam and Eve was an act that was made with well intentions from a good person, mm-hmm. but it's probably, but it was something that was probably not intended slash was like out of bounds and against God's will. So like, would that have been seen as evil? Right. And like Crowley, like doing the original sin because of uh because of orders and stuff like like it wasn't necessarily done out of like it was done with bad intentions but like overall you could probably say it had good effects mm-hmm. this is a big uh this is a big shrug in case you can't tell from the audio because <laughs> again i don't know how that's going to play out <laughs> Um, I had a note in here about, uh, the execution of, like, is there a word for the opposite of a miracle? Like, a miracle 
Like a wondrous event not done by God. Whoa. Uh, or a good aligned being. Is it still just a miracle? Is is miracle? I think I think third? a miracle is just something that like shouldn't have happened but did. Okay. In that case then, um I'm having a fun time keeping track of like the different miracles that they enact. Because uh like in the book so far, both Crowley and Aziraphale seem to just do random miracles whenever they want to. Like, <laughs> excuse me, there's a whole mention of like, oh, well, Crowley has this really cool car. And one of his miracles is like, oh, hey, I, I'm going to make this. I'm going to make the cops that are chasing me for driving at like probably like 210 miles per hour. I'm going to. I'm gonna turn their car engine into something else so they can't chase me anymore. <laughs> or, like, Aziraphale, like, he makes a... He does, like... I don't, I don't remember, actually, like... Oh, hey, he's gonna give the... He's gonna give, like, a lady some flowers or something. But then, like, right. they, they also do miraculous acts with, like, the opposite morality. <laughs> like, there's a point at which... Something happened, like, Crowley accidentally kills, like, a duck that they were feeding. Aww. And then Aziraphale is like, really? And so then Crowley brings the duck back to life, which is a good act. And then at one point they're leaving, and a police officer is trying to write Crowley a ticket, and Aziraphale burns the ticket-taking notebook, which is arguably a less-than-good action. So it's like they can do things that go either way on the morality spectrum, which is interesting. It is really interesting. I think that's definitely going to continue to pop up. Mm -hmm. Next note was, like I said earlier, the uh, the difference between like the old school demons with like Haster and Lyder, who are the other, or Lidor, maybe, who are like the two big demons that come to drop off the Antichrist with Crowley. Sure. And uh, then Crowley's newer approach, which is essentially perpetuating the cycle of misery and sin and stuff, which is really interesting because I feel like that's that can be paralleled a lot to like the modern the way that a lot of modern day churches operate. Mm hmm. <laughs> like so often the focus is on like we need to save like we need to we need to focus on individual pieces and not focus on breaking the cycle that has been yep. perpetuated. Oh my god, breaking uh just the the flow of things just a little bit. That's like my biggest problem with the church right now. Yeah, is <laughs> like as it as in things the cycle not being broken. I'm assuming. Yeah, well, I'm just like it just feels like every single week. And, you know, and this is not just my church, this is just, like, a thing in general. It's, like, it's so, like, self-focused. Mm -hmm. And, I, I mean, all of this is great stuff. It's just, it's, like, breaking your chains and, like, you know, like, um, focusing on God and, like, and improving your own life and your, like, mm -hmm. relationship with the people in your, like, family and your friends and, like, your spouse and everything. Mm -hmm. But it's never, almost never... Or it's just such a tiny little aspect of, like, outreach. It's like, oh, let's do something for the community. Maybe mm -hmm. let's, like, 
encourage people to like vote or like be engaged in politics and like actually care about mm-hmm. <laughs> multiple issues or whatever oh. you know uh, yeah, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna get too okay. into it, but like, I c- I can help out with a quick good sidebar. Yeah, my uh my favorite priest that I have so far had the pleasure of working with was the priest at my college campus ministry, and he is like, he he is one of the kindest souls that I'll that I think I have ever met. Like Aww. he he literally looks like the old Grandpa Keebler elf. <laughs> I'll I'll see if I can show you a picture. But uh, he is, he is just, he he is just such a caring person. And he's, yeah. like, he's always very inclusive. Like, when I was in college, he made a point to mention, like, no, like, like we are not going to exclude anyone from receiving communion at Mass. Like, I don't care, like, I don't care if they're gay or straight or, mm-hmm. like, asexual or whatever. Like, they are all welcome to come to Mass and receive the Eucharist. And I'm like, God bless you, Father, because <laughs> he's just so good. And also because when he was growing up, uh, he got arrested a couple times for protesting the Vietnam War. Nice. And that what may a or may cool, not have, awesome guy. That may or may not have been after he took his vows. I don't remember. <laughs> what an awesome, rad, cool mm-hmm. priest. Oh, here's a picture of him. Here's the comparison that I made. Oh, he does. Oh, my goodness. He's just so good. <laughs> but yeah so oh, man. yeah so if uh hey hey uh, listeners out there if you're struggling with like how you can help like definitely like definitely please take care of yourself but if you have the energy to spare after mm-hmm. you take care of yourself help others and break the cycle by helping others absolutely yeah. Bam. boom put that on cnn <laughs> um Okay, I I did have a couple notes that were more so on free will, namely that there was a note, uh, and I am taking this from the edition of the book that has the Amazon poster on the cover of it. I don't know which edition this is, and honestly, I don't care to look it up right now. Um, but there is a there's a whole section in here, um, uh, about god and like how god works and i'm just going to read it verbatim because i think it's really interesting okay uh, god moves in extremely mysterious not to say circuitous ways god does not play dice with the universe he plays an ineffable game of his own devising which might be compared from the perspective of any of the players i.e everybody to being involved in an obscure and complex version of poker in a pitch-dark room with blank cards for infinite stakes with a dealer who won't tell you the rules and who smiles all the time. (laughs) Which is... That's really funny. I think it speaks to something that a lot of people don't always remember when thinking about, like, the difference between, like, God's will and human, like, humanity's will and, like, perspective and stuff. It's, like... The entire concept of a god is that they are not, they are not human. They do not have the human experience. They are not working under human rules. That like, like, yes, like there's, there is hopefully, God willing, a lot of sympathy there, but coming from an extreme, from an entirely different rule set that we do not know that we will never know. 
Like this isn't Greek mythology. The 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 god of the god of good omens and in I think in general a lot of Christianity is not is not human and does not have foibles like the Greek gods do and how a lot of people portray free will and like predestination and stuff. Sure, yeah. So Yeah, I get that. Yeah, that's that that is that might be the most metaphysical I've ever gotten so far on this podcast. <laughs> mm, excuse me. And I just had a couple of notes through the rest of what I've read so far. Like there's a whole part where um the there's a bit where like they mention that simply the presence of there being an antichrist in the world is affecting the causality of certain events. Oh. Which I find really interesting because they're like, oh yeah, well, like, just because there, like, there is an antichrist in the world and now weird stuff is going to start happening. Like, two-headed cattle are just going to be born more often. Hmm. Which is, like, a really interesting thing that I don't think I've quite heard portrayed because so often it's, like, something is... So often when things happen to chosen characters within the narrative, it's usually, like... Oh hey, like Goku is here, and Vegeta picked up his power levels, so now the Saiyans are on Earth. Or like King Arthur was King Arthur drew out the sword, and so now everyone is coming to Camelot to test him. Or like, um, what's one with a girl chosen one? I know, right? <laughs> Let me check my bookshelf. I know they're out there. Does Ray count as a chosen one? Yes, 100%. Okay. Or, like, how in in Star Wars, like, everything starts happening in The Force Awakens because... Well, not everything starts happening, but a lot of the big conflict in The Force Awakens is because Rey shows up and, like, throws a giant spanner in the works of everyone that she is not directly aligned with. Mm-hmm. And whereas in the case of Good Omens, it's like, no, like, things are going to happen even though this Chosen One is not having any kind of direct interaction with them, which I think is really interesting. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's interesting too. It's like, I think it being, like, not, it's not, like, masqueraded at all. It's just literally God (laughs) and, like, the, like, you know, like, that sort of, like, belief system. And, like, in that belief system, every single thing happens for a reason. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, even if it's not, like, a direct thing, it's like, oh, like, I don't know. I don't really have, I don't think I have an example. But, like... (laughs) I don't even know what I'm saying. Maybe cut all of that. I don't know if I had a point. <laughs> it's okay. That's okay. We're, I'm not done with the book yet. We don't have to have concrete thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> and I did take a couple of fun notes throughout the uh, throughout the book. Well, again, throughout I say the book throughout the 75 pages that I've read so far, because yeah. <laughs> I cannot emphasize enough how little I know about this story. <laughs> um. <laughs> There's a part where they mention um, Aziraphale, 
like Aziraphale runs a like an old bookstore, like specifically okay. focusing on like rare books. And they mention that he collects like Bibles that have errors in them. <laughs> and like, oh hey, like where it's where it's things ranging from misprints to they mention they mention a Bible where it's literally like someone just made a whole bunch of salty margin notes and then they got printed by mistake. <laughs> but they also mentioned that um, Aziraphale, uh, they didn't mention this in the book, but he displays the uh, the the uh, cardinal sin of pride because he got an edition of the Bible published where it mentioned where it mentions himself, like he 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 inserts himself into this Bible's version of Genesis. <laughs> like, oh, I think it's actually wait, it was on page forty. Like it literally mentions uh that he he inserted the phrases and the Lord's uh so he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the garden of the tree of life. Uh and then follows with and the Lord spake unto the angel that guarded the eastern gate, saying, Where is the flaming sword which was given unto thee? And the angel said, I had it here only a moment ago. I must have put it down somewhere. Forgot, forget my own head next. And the Lord did not ask him again. <laughs> which is like... The, the sheer amount of like chutzpah and pride that it takes for you to insert yourself into... Any edition of a Bible, regardless of how much traction it gets, is like, hey, Aziraphale, oh, you best watch yourself, friendo, because that's not angelic behavior. That is, in fact, very human behavior. <laughs> and then also there's the whole part where, like, like so far, most of what Aziraphale does is because he is persuaded into doing it by Crowley. You might even say that he is tempted into doing so by Crowley, <laughs> which has led me to my concern that is this whole is this whole book just going to like going to be one long unintentional con of like, oh, hey, Crowley's going to get super promoted in hell because he managed to convince a, a, an entire principality angel to fall because <laughs> like. I, I feel like if that happened, I would have heard about it by now on Tumblr, but it's, uh, it sure is a thing that could happen at some point. <laughs> but yeah, so that that's my notes from 75 grand total pages of Good Omens, and none of the TV show. Cool. Well, I feel like that's a pretty good, like, base for, uh being able to talk about the ending and where it went and everything. Yeah, let's hope. <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, you want to take us out, Emma? Yeah. Uh, cool. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that and, uh, I hope you're ready for part two. Woo. Um, not next Sunday, but Sunday after that. Mm -hmm. Uh, listen to it on your church commute or at, like, 2pm when you wake up like I would do if I didn't go to church. <laughs> <laughs> you are valid. Yep. Um. <laughs> Honestly, like that that same priest I was talking about earlier, like he even mentioned a couple of times, like you know what, like if you fall asleep in church, 
don't worry about it. God knows. God understands. <laughs> and we're like, oh, bless you, Father. <laughs> I remember, um, oh, at like a youth group thing. Um, so like, there's this uh, evangelical concept called soaking. I don't know. You do you have that? <laughs> That's a big no for me, dog. Okay. Well, uh, you might have something similar to it, but um, in uh, evangelical speak, it's called soaking, where you just put on some like instrumental music. It's usually just, like, instrumental worship songs. Um, Put on some lo-fi Jesus music to help you relax. <laughs> Study mix. <laughs> lo-fi Jesus beats to, <laughs> to relax and soak, too. Uh, oh, my God. I mean, like, you joke, that's literally what it is. Oh um, but, yeah, so you just, like, listen to that and um, just, like, you close your eyes and um, just kind of, like, meditate, basically, mm-hmm. like, in the spirit and, like, let God, like, speak to you, or let his, like, you know, like, peace, or, like, his presence, Mm -hmm. um, you know, like, calm you, or whatever, um, and we did it as, like, a youth group once, and everyone kind of, like, splayed out on the ground, and there was, like, music playing over the, like, sanctuary speakers, um, and (laughs) at one point, like, a few minutes in, um, we just hear, like, soft snoring from the other side of the room. Yeah. And a kid just completely fell asleep. Oh. And, oh, it was great. And then, and everyone looked up and they were, like, laughing and, uh, the, like, uh, youth leaders were like, he's got the right idea. And I think a lot more people fell asleep. Yeah. After that, too. And it was good. It's like, oh, God really knew that we all needed the nap right mm-hmm. now. <laughs> Everyone nap. Hey, take a nap today. Mm-hmm. But Sunday naps are the yeah. best. Yeah. Let's try an outro again. <laughs> <laughs> take two. Faithful is a part of the Corner Podcast Network. We can be found on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Pippa, any other place podcasts are found. Unless that is Pocket Casts, apparently. Yeah. But... Uh, if, if you are listening to this... And you've had previous issues with a platform, aside from Spotify, because I don't understand how Spotify works and that submission takes forever, so I haven't tried to get us on Spotify yet. But if you found an issue with listening to Faithful, I almost said wayward, uh, on (laughs) any platform that is not, like, that is not Spotify, uh, send us an email or uh, send send, send the Faithful Twitter Twitter a message and then I can see if I can get that figured out. Yeah. Uh, my dad was having issues with it earlier, which is how we know. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, our theme music is Start of Something Beautiful, courtesy of Ketza. Uh, and we can be reached through an email uh, at faithful2lspod at gmail.com or through our Twitter at faithfulpods. And, uh, you know, since we're still new, mm-hmm. this is, we're getting to the double digits now. Ooh, we're real we're close. There. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Um, but it still super helps us if you can, like, rate and review us, uh, wherever you're listening, um, and maybe recommend us to a friend or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, we love that. Yeah. So, send in your thoughts about the different theories and themes that we've discussed so far for this episode of Good Omens, and then maybe we will read them for the actual rest of Good Omens episode. Oh, yeah. If you've got any Good Omens thoughts, now is the perfect time to send an email. Yes. Because uh, we will actually be able to discuss it in full Yeah. <laughs> next time you hear yeah. us. <laughs> uh, feel free to add, though, in your email whether or not it's a spoiler. Because 
if it is a spoiler, then I won't read it before I finish the book. But if it oh, yeah, isn't a spoiler, idea. then I can read it and I can comment on it as I read. <laughs> Heck yeah. Yeah. Uh, we came up with an outro, actually, for reals this time. Woo, we did it. We did it. And we're going to both say it at the same time. Yes. Keep the faith. Cool. That was good, right? We did it. We did it. We have an outro. We finally, after ten, <laughs> after nine episodes, plus an intro, and recording a promo. But hey, you know what? We got there. Got there. We got there. That's the important thing. I did not, uh, I was not necessarily a good co-host and did not tell her about that before I sprung her about it on this recording, so, oops. Oh, well, you know, it wouldn't be the first time. I mean, I've I've certainly outright canceled the recording because I wasn't prepared with it, so. No, please don't. This has to come out on Sunday! <laughs> you don't have time to record another episode! <laughs> no no this time i'm prepared though we're good this time okay cool we're great don't worry good <laughs>